Welcome to the International Collective of Female Cinematographers podcast, where every week we will be talking to a different cinematographer and listening to their stories as they navigate the filmmaking world, sharing secrets and experiences to empower our community. The ICFC is a collective of professional female cinematographers from around the world who provide each other with community support and industry advocacy. We are your hosts, Emilia and Akina. Today we are so excited to welcome Sade India. We'll be discussing shooting commercials, working in the commercial world, prepping for projects, asking for what you need to do a job properly, and the importance of mentorship and visibility as a member of a minority. Hi, y'all. Happy to be here. Shade India here. Thank you so much for joining us, Shade. And so we're going to just start off right, th- right off the bat. How, how did you become a filmmaker and how did you become a DP? Yes. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Like, honestly, such an honor to be a part of the community. And for me personally, I think how I started was really just through exploration and wonder. Like I grew up in a small town, Palm Springs, <laughs> and literally all I had in the art world was like, my a Canon T3i. And that was like my introduction to photography. And with that, me and my friends would kind of run around making little like short concept docs together and it kind of just kept growing and growing and I ended up pursuing film school out here in Pasadena Mm -hmm. Um, but it was very much so being in film school is very much so a boys club and like I had to literally like lean over shoulders to even like get my hands on an Alexa and for that that for me was very difficult so a lot of how I learned I guess more of the professionalism in camera was like renting out gear on jobs or like borrowing gear from friends and like just Mm -hmm. teaching myself and like getting every opportunity I could to like get my hands on the gear. That's awesome. And you work more mostly in the commercial space, right? Yes, correct. Can you talk a little bit about that and about working in that world, how you got into it, all that stuff? Yeah, yeah. Um, For me commercial working in commercial as a black woman specifically has been <laughs> a journey in itself uh people already have these preconceived notions of you before you even walk in the room you know and mm. uh, there's been so many times you know when you check it at covid and they're like oh are you are you uh in art department and are you in uh the talent side are you in glam We're like no i'm i'm the dp today and <laughs> it's just so funny because it's like people are just so unused to like seeing women that look like me in apartment role. And so like not letting that kind of energy get to you has really been a journey for me. And like just realizing that like you're here for a reason, you're taking up space for a reason and that's why you're on this job at the end of the day. But yeah, it's been really fun for me personally being in commercial because I get to play with all the fancy toys and like it Mm. helps explain more more technical knowledge for when I transfer over into long-term like narrative work. And you've been doing a lot of uh, a few narratives, um, particularly um, Sonia Lara, which um, was a short film that was part of the uh, Hillman grad um, program. Can you talk a little bit about that particular short and making that and working with Stacy, the director? Yeah, yeah. I mean, working with Stacy was literally, I literally had her over last night for dinner. She's definitely like, she's one of those collaborators where it's just like that instant connection. And mm-hmm. it was so funny because when they sent me the script, fell in love with the script right away. Um, one, because it a big part of my roots was growing up in the Caribbean. I'm originally from Belize. I ended up basically leaving everything, my family and just my upbringing back home on the island to pursue a better education in America. And like, that's literally what film was about in itself. And so reading that script, it was just a cathartic experience. It felt like I was looking in a mirror. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and it was that instant connection. And so I prepared this whole detailed pitch, was so nervous, like sweating, like, you know, it's like when you have to give yourself the hype talk <laughs> before you yeah. do the pitch meeting as well. And it's so funny because on the other end, the director felt the same way about me. Like she just... <laughs> It was like, oh, like, do you want to do this? And I was like, do you want me to do this? Like, it was one of those things where it's like, we already knew we wanted to work on this together, but we were both like so in awe of each other's like creative approach that like, I don't know, it was like that minor intimidation. So I thought that was really sweet. And that project just allowed me to kind of play and like find more so like the genre of filmmaking I want to be in, which is magical realism and like being able to... I don't know, see all my wacky ideas come to life was pretty amazing too. Cause I grew up watching like really obsessed over like Michelle Gondry's work with magical mm. real like, practical effects and like wanting to bring that to life. And so on that film specifically, we were able to do that and tap into like dramatic lighting cues and like creating a world that was unworldly essentially. Why does magical realism in particular speak to you? Like what what is it about that that really um makes your soul soar, I guess, as a DP. Because that's a, it's an unusual genre. It's not one we hear about a lot. Right, right, right. I guess for me, it's like, um, just in terms of the stories that I grew up watching in major films about Black identity specifically, it was like, there was a lot of like linear storytelling. And I feel mm-hmm. like for me, when I get to play with magical realism in the realm of like Black storytelling, it's creating new possibilities for us or showcasing mm-hmm. folks in a new light stuff like that really just gets me in like excited about the craft I guess because mm-hmm. it's shifting just like the box of narratives that we've been kind of put up within and like being able to expand outside of that has been like a big passion of mine. Going a little bit further into that uh, you are involved in a lot of organizations that help um, increase the visibility of black filmmakers. Why is this this work so crucial to the way the film industry is growing? I mean, it's kind of what I said earlier. It was so hard for me to break in. And for me, it's like, I'm still so new to everything. I'm just excited to be here (laughs) having fun with the craft. But also, inevitably, I can't help but think about how hard it was for me to even get my hands on a camera, how hard it was (laughs) even be in the room to be considered to even pitch for larger concept projects. And I feel like for me, as I'm growing in my own personal craft, it's like important for me to I know bring people up with me like not so it's just me just my peers I feel like I'm trying to so many times I've been on set where directors have literally told me like this is the first time they worked with a black woman DP this is the first time seeing black women in camera like seeing black folks in G&E period and I think Mm -hmm. that is it's kind of like a bittersweet thing to hear because it's like yes I'm at the forefront of like shifting like the perspective of what working in camera looks like but also on the back end it's like I don't want to be the first one you know like Mm -hmm. I don't want more of us to be in the room and to be creating these spaces and so uh, I work a lot with this nonprofit called Made in Her Image Um, And we've done a mixture of like workshops. I've taught like cinematography courses there. And then we've done in-person workshops at Panavision as well. And then a few like just open discussions too. I got to do a Q and A with Kira Kelly, who was like, that's awesome. A big inspiration to me. And she's so nice, so humble and so in alignment with the cause too. Like she's been her, she's been told multiple times too. She's the first black woman DP 
that directors have worked with. And she's trying to like make it so that we all kind of get in as well and like are doing it with the right resources too. You know, I feel like for me, it's like there are a lot of initiatives right now that are uplifting women of color. And I think it's a really exciting time for us because we do have this support. But also it's like for me, a big part is like actually giving folks like the tangible resources, whether it's technical, whether it's like printed materials, like so that it feels like they're prepared when they're being thrown into these larger spaces, you know, because it was scary for me. My first commercial job that I did, I was not I was not prepared at all. (laughs) I was just kind of (laughs) thrown in. And so um, just trying to like, I don't know, make it easier, make people feel more prepared and excited and like also like, oh, this is a possibility for me, you know, like being on the outside looking in is just not the best feeling, you know. Oh, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about your first commercial experience and how you got that job? Just, you know, aspiring to be like, how do you get your foot in the door at all? Yeah, yeah. I mean, my first commercial experience is when I just got I had just gotten signed. It was like three, three, three years ago, time flies. And it was up for these directors that I really admired, like followed a lot of their commercial music video work. And <laughs> um, it, it's tricky because it's like being signed, you're like put up against other cinematographers who are way okay. more. Expensive. Let's back. Let's back up. How did you get signed? <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me go back. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So being signed was a journey in itself for me, too, because I did not think I was ready to be signed. It was in 2020, August. I'm a Leo. It was during my birthday month. So it was like a really (laughs) surprise. Um, But my agent had found me through social media, actually. She had seen Mm -hmm. my work online um, and then she had reached out for an initial meeting. But, you know, it's like a lot of agents will reach out just to kind of have a general meeting, see what you're up to. But you don't think they're gonna sign you right on the spot but like yeah with my agent she was she was interested in signing me right away and she saw so much potential in my work and for me it's like a lot of when I first started I was shooting like commercials but it was like for local brands you know Mm -hmm. or music videos for local artists that I knew here in LA and we were shooting out of my living room so like a lot of the sample works on my website that she had seen were things that I had literally finessed with like a a homie's like gear package and like just going out for a weekend shooting a music video for my friend or shooting in my living room all the all of the sample works that were on my website at the time were just like more so just budding ideas but I knew I knew I had a vision I knew I had a voice but it was still very just like just like entry I guess entry level commercial work you know and Mm -hmm. She she was very detailed. My agent was very detailed with her notes on my website, which really helped me kind of pivot and also get a better understanding how to pitch myself. And a big thing was creating that what they call selected works page really gears your website towards the kind of work you want to manifest. Mm-hmm. And so like in the beginning, I was just excited to be here. I was like just putting everything on my website. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. looking back, this is so funny. But um, I think a big rule of thumb for like budding DPs is like you don't want to put all your work on your website. You want to put the mm-hmm. kind of work you want to outreach for, the kind of work you're trying to manifest or gear towards. And so that really helped curate my website and help me kind of get in the room to even be pitching on commercials. And then when I had pitched for my first commercial, it's crazy. Like after you're signed, you're literally on the roster. It's like some of the people who inspired me that even want to be a DP in the first place. And I'm like very few of women of color, like amongst the roster as well. So it's just that added pressure. And for me, it's like I was sent this creative, but these directors I really admired online. I'd seen some of their commercials and 
I thought it was a long shot, but I had a lot of just random creative niches that I wanted to pitch. And I had pitched like it was just a product commercial, but I had pitched doing like a double dolly shot for like uh, one of the products. And then I also talked about like playing with like forced perspective to kind of sell this like surreal set. And Mm. directors just loved how much time and intention I had put into making a fully fleshed out deck and like Mm. being excited about the creative. And that ultimately made them want to hire me. And I was just like, for me, I didn't really expect to like get that yes right away, but it was really just like a testament to like, oh, I'm supposed to be here. I'm here for a reason. I have good creative ideas. I know how to problem solve on the spot. And ultimately that's going to keep me grounded as I navigate these commercials. And obviously like when you're starting to do commercials, it's like sensory overload because <laughs> yeah. everything you've learned in the indie world or making work with your friends is just put on 10. Mm-hmm. And and a big thing as a, as a cinematographer in the commercial world is this concept of like making your day, right? Mm-hmm. So that's been a journey for me too. And now I finally feel like I have that that logistical bone in mm-hmm. my body now, but it's like, it's definitely a journey learning that as well. It's like all your, all your um, technical, I guess, traits have to be put on 10. What are the challenges moving from the commercial world into the narrative world? Or do you feel that you are able to successfully live in both worlds um, right now? Um, I think for me, I've found the beautiful balance between being in commercial and narrative. I feel like commercial inevitably can really jade you into being very logistical and like, like I said, that concept of making Mm -hmm. your day. And then when you get into narrative, it's like some of the directors, they're just trying to have fun. Yeah. (laughs) They're just doing what they can, you know, and be present with their actors. So I think for me, it's like, as a cinematographer, we're really the middle man, you know, like Mm -hmm. we have to, the most diplomatic in any situation we have to be able to curate our personalities for different kinds of that's something you have to kind of learn along the way as well is like this idea of like not every job is going to be the same and you're going to approach it with different different um intent you know like mm-hmm. certain jobs i'll do because i need to pay rent certain jobs i'll do because i really am enthralled by the story and i feel like it'll really push me to try something new try a new look mm-hmm certain jobs it's like more so like a director that I really want to just uplift and like support however I can as well you know like being able to ground every job you pick up with intention really helps you feel grounded and just feel like it's like not for nothing you know like everything is for something and um for me it's like I think the hardest thing I think the hardest thing for me with balancing both worlds between narrative and commercial is like creating those boundaries too though like you don't want to overwork of course, like as cinematographers, we want to be able to bring as many stories to life as we can. But also it's like you don't want to overwork yourself or like do something that really pushes what you're comfortable with just to make another person happy, you know. Backtracking a little bit, but um, you do a lot of kind of educational work, you know, Um uh, you're on a lot of panels. I've and I actually was in, uh, attended one of the panels you were on for Free the Work about agents. Actually, that was actually super informative. Oh, really? um, yeah. And um so can you t- speak a little bit about why that's important to you uh, to be on these panels to provide education for the general public on cinematography or like filmmaking in general? Mm, I would say it's really important for me to just cultivate space and like educational workshops for other cinematographers, just because, like I said, it was so hard for me to get in in the first mm-hmm. place. So right now it's just, it's an amazing time to be a cinematographer. I feel like, like there's so many like black folks specifically killing it. And mm-hmm. so people that I call friends, people that I came up with, like cam mm-hmm. up for other DPs, DPs cam mopping for me and then seeing them killing it as DPs now. It's like, we've all 
put in the work together and we're finally in a place to kind of share the knowledge that we've learned amongst the years with other people. And mm-hmm. it's like so many, so many people online, they're just so taken away by the fact that there are so many Black DBs killing it. And mm-hmm. we're all just like, oh, you could do it too. Like, let me know what you need. Like, come to the camera prep, like come meet mm-hmm. my agent. He's like, pull up to this panel, meet some some people you could crew up with. I think from like, I'm really just trying to push people to show up and be present. And I mm-hmm. think having these in-person panels and workshops kind of helps us learn that kind of like social bone that we need to have as a DP as well. Like when yeah. I started, I was so much of an introvert. Like I would go to panels and I'd sit in the corner with a little notepad, like taking notes, like not not even talking <laughs> going home after you know and if I could go back in time I I'd change that for sure like I'd put myself out there but it's hard it's like I came from a small town I have a family of no artists like I didn't have that kind of like social bone or like I didn't know how to do a whole like elevator pitch or anything like that and so for me it's like experiencing that I'm really challenged trying to challenge like other upcoming DPs to um, be able to like communicate a about their work in a way that's exciting and also feels grounded in intention, but also like being able to put themselves out there and create community because engaging in community is ultimately what will really uplift you like in this career. Need to hire an underwater cinematographer in the Caribbean or a drill certified cinematographer in South America? How about a Mandarin speaking cinematographer that can work in Europe? We gotcha. Our comprehensive database of over 300 members is searchable by location, language, specialties, affiliations, and genre slash categories. Visit our site now and find your next superstar collaborator at icfcfilm.com. Speaking of just looking uh, to the past, um, what is something you wish you had known when you were starting out? Uh, um, that's a good one. That's why I get asked this a lot, but my answer changes every time. <laughs> something I wish I knew when I had just started out. I guess I, I, what I wish I had known when I just started out would definitely be to like I said, show up to more in-person events, you know, like NAB or like going to all of these, all these like uh, rental houses are hosting workshops now. Mm. Lens lens manufacturers are doing lens tests in person where you can actually like meet the manufacturers and learn about the gear and get your hands on gear. And for me, I didn't really know that was a resource you could really tap into. And I feel like that would have really propelled my technical knowledge much faster, you know, being able to show up person events and even now like so many of my colleagues they're always going to all of these events and then they're putting me on game like oh Sade you gotta check out this glass you gotta here's some stills I took from this like lens test like da 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 and we're mm-hmm. like notes and I think I think that's the best part about cinematography is like we're all just nerds like geeking out <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're, we're yeah. like honestly I think it's so fun and it's so cute and uh we're we're able to like share this knowledge amongst peers and like creating that kind of um, directory of knowledge. And so for me, I think when I first started out, when I was shooting some of my own stuff, like I was just using very standard camera packages. I was shooting with like um, black magic and then I would have like the the Sigma art lenses. It wasn't even mm-hmm. any like <laughs> any specialty prime lenses or anything like that. Uh, but I would be playing with filtration or like testing more so lighting. I definitely mm-hmm. started with a heavier lighting perspective when I first started out shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I could go back in time and catch up on like all of the camera, endless camera possibilities at a younger age, I definitely feel like my initial body of work could have expanded in a new way. 
You said you started out um, kind of as an introvert. And is that something that changed? Like, is that something that you had to make yourself change, you know, become more extroverted and learn how to network? Or is that something that just, you know, happened because you were always on set and you kind of forced yourself to? It's a bit of both. I mean, yeah, I was very much so an introvert in film school, even like I. But it's funny. It's like I, I knew I had so much to say. I just I always felt like, oh, doesn't need to be said or is it going to be in the right way? And I feel like for me, it was like I said, film school was very much so a boys club. And then I would hop on like the Internet and I'd be say like my like reviews of a film I really enjoyed or something like that. And like other folks that looked like me could relate and we'd have an open dialogue. And that kind of helps me kind of get out of my shell is like knowing that there is community out there for me. I just had to find it. And so I I feel like the Internet kind of really helps me with that in a weird way. It's just like real life. I just wasn't exposed to the right kinds of people and then putting myself like out there on the Internet kind of helps me find the filmmakers that act actually felt in attunement to my own personal style and my own cares as a filmmaker. And so then I would meet them in person and I'd have coffee with them. And then I'd learn about their interests. We had making films together. And that kind of helps me kind of create my own kind of community. And even in terms of crew, like I was training like folks in camera through that same route, like people had reached out to me online. And so like, it's just kind of something you, you, it's, you just kind of learn over the years. Like you, you have no choice, but to get out of that introversion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it also helps to like talk to the right people, right? There's definitely a lot of people that I'm like, I have nothing to say either, you know, like exactly, exactly. Like what I say, or you're not interested in my opinion. So I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And as cinematographers, we're supposed to be, it's funny. Like when I was in film school my cinematography instructor he was very strict he was very old-fashioned in the way where he was like you can't talk to talent um you can't let put in your two cents like you just have to be fly on the wall you just have to focus on the technical which is true we do have to focus on the technical but I've learned over the years is that a lot of directors and even talent they want someone more personable someone who's actually going to give their two cents because they know that you're trying you're here to make the project better and I felt like for me that mindset in film school really harmed me from like being more communicative on set when I first started out because I was like oh a DP has to do this oh I can't look this way I can't talk like this and it just felt like so controlled and I felt like I wasn't truly myself and then when I started to work with directors who are really shifting the tone on set and making it more of a open dialogue and open perspective it really helps me feel more comfortable in my power and speaking up and feeling like my ideas wanted to be heard essentially and then yeah of course in commercial it's just like you got to be on t- if you i over communicate I'm, I'm very much so per my last email i just mm-hmm. want to make sure all this overhead i will need a lot of time on da, 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 da. i'm very very i'm very big on communication in terms of commercial because it's like Ultimately, if you don't make your day, it always lands on the DP and mm-hmm. all we can really do is communicate our needs and go from there, you know. Well, and also, you know, going back to that I, communicating to people thing, I think also things are changing, right? I remember I went to a trade show a couple of years back with my gaffer and I remember like, I'm not going to name names, but like one of the lighting guys literally would look at my gaffer only, wouldn't even look at me, mm. wouldn't even, like would say all the specs and everything. And I'm like... Yeah, this is, you know, okay, this is cool. But like, I'm not using your light (laughs) or I'm not going to buy it today. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that happens all the time. It's so bizarre. But things are changing, right? Hopefully. I mean, there are more women in these spaces and hopefully the tide is changing, right? 
Yeah. 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 And and it's it's funny, too, though. It's like you can experience that from crew even in itself. Like Mm -hmm. I've been on union jobs where like I know I'm here for a reason and I have a very detailed overhead. I'm very communicative about time and like what my creative needs are. And it's still not enough. And it's like ultimately at the end of the day, we can't let that energy overrule us we're putting in all the work we can and like at the end of the day it's like it's, there's, there's just still a lot of like growth we have to do as a community in terms of like I don't know not feeling like you know people have to be put through the ring like people have to be put through the ringer to succeed you know like mm-hmm. a lot of people just have like a lot of old head mentality because like old union bros have such a certain way of working and they're trying to like make sure that women of color have to go through that same ringer when it's like yep. hmm we're already kind of creating these spaces for ourselves and like you should be happy that we're also like cultivating space for other people to come in with us instead of like hold us back by you know gatekeeping certain information just well we talk about imposter syndrome a lot on this podcast and i feel like a lot of that contributes to the imposter syndrome right it's like this like nagging feeling where you're like oh no one looks like me on set do i belong here do i belong in this space and you're fighting for that already so much right so that's just contributing to it and like we're all trying to find a way to navigate out of that space that headspace you know exactly exactly do you have any networking tips <laughs> that you would want to tell the the crowd something we should do when you're in a room, what do you do when you're in a room? I feel like for me, it's just be yourself. <laughs> down. I don't know. Being your like moving forward with just being yourself and like moving with your own personal intention just attracts the energy that you want in your life. But I feel like for me, it's like in the beginning, I was so I was so into this idea of like, oh, like getting in with this kind of director or in this production company in this kind of world. And like in the long run, you you work with these companies and then you learn like they're not in entire alignment with who you are as an artist, you know, and Mm -hmm. I feel so exciting. It's like we're able to come up with certain directors, come up with certain production companies, all of the direct iconic director DP duos that we see. It's folks who started out together. And I feel like that's really where the power is, is finding upcoming talent that you feel has a voice, has a story to tell, has a story that aligns with your own personal desires. I feel like that's ultimately what makes it so exciting. Like linking up with Stacy on Sonia Dora was truly a labor of love and so exciting for me because we have stories, we have similar values just as people, not even just as filmmakers, you know, and that really yeah. can't in the work and the final product. And so when it, when it comes to networking events, you want to be able to I don't know, create the right kind of community. Don't just shoot for the stars. You know, like people go to panels, they want to talk to the person on the panel right away. But it's like all these people in the audience who are upcoming filmmakers, who are crewing up, who have a script that they want to put into production, who need mentorship even, you know, Mm -hmm. all of all of the people in the audience are really what it's about. And I feel like I'm so big on making sure even when I'm on a panel, just making sure that I'm getting to know everybody and not just like the people who are up there, you know, because I feel like it's really important. And it's like where community is really where the value will come from. Switching gears a little bit. If you could shoot anything, anything, that we'll put it, putting it out into the universe, right? You get to like Shade, you have your pick of whatever you want to shoot. What would that be and why? Mm. In terms of what, like genre or genre, movie, like whatever it is, like if it's a TV show, it's whatever, you know, what would you choose to shoot and why? Yeah, I'm asked this a lot, too. It's kind of tricky. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, for me, I guess a dream project for me is always just like, I'm I'm not fancy. I'm not difficult. I feel like I became a filmmaker because I was so inspired by this wave of like black independent film. Like I grew up watching friendly films, you know, like so that's mm-hmm. all you need to know. Like for me, it's like a raw, authentic story that has something to say about society that has something has a, a final mission or a final goal to kind of shift culture or shift perception of ourselves. For me, it's like if it's a storyline that I feel very in attunement to that's really all it is for me i'm not too obsessed about shooting like the next marvel movie Mm -hmm. or anything like that it's just i just want to create raw authentic stories and be a part of shifting our narrative in itself that's awesome need to hire a cinematographer no wait what and you're still listening to us oh you're being supportive we really appreciate that we really do what's that how can you support us even if you can't hire us well You can tell people who are looking for IDP to take a gander at our extensive 300 plus member database, or you can always help us out with donations. If you want to help us out with, um, you know, monetary support, you can go to icfcfilm.com slash friends to donate. We're an all volunteer run group, so we rely on donations to keep the lights on. Not the literal lights we use though, production foots the bill on those. Although if someone wants to send us a 10K with power for our next project, we won't say no to that either. What do you do outside of filmmaking? Um, how do you maintain work-life balance? Do you have any hobbies? Do What do you do? It's funny because I'm definitely one of those filmmakers where it's like filmmaking is my life. <laughs> and then when you're <laughs> stuck alone, like not working, yeah, like going on this whole endless tangent. But when I'm not working I'm still finding ways to be inspired like I I'm really involved with like the art scene out here in LA Mm -hmm. so I'm going to like a lot of my friends are photographers so photography shows fine art galleries um I'm a film buff I'm always watching movies and deducting films with my friends and um I have like this really obsessive art art book collection where I'll Mm -hmm. just honestly put on some like nice ambient lighting in my house and just like nice. go like a uh, painting books or like photography books um just finding ways to always still stay inspired but I'm such a firm believer in this idea of like filmmaking's uh, films wouldn't happen without like r- living real life and so yeah. just engage a community like be around my friends see my family as often as I can finally going on vacation <laughs> like <Literally. laughs> I'm really excited about just seeing the world and like finding finding different facets to inspire me. And even I talked a little bit about this online, too. Um, I'm so big. Even like I, going to like bars or restaurants, like taking pictures of like the practical lighting because mm. it's all. I think like what's so exciting for us as cinematographers is like everything is a canvas. Everything is a and so still finding ways to still be studying what I do mm-hmm. even while I'm like outside of the real world. Oh, yeah. I have a funny story. A friend of mine, we were um, having margaritas and tacos at Tacos Tu Madre in um, out in WeHo mm-hmm. a couple of years back. And the margarita, also a DP. And we were looking up at this neon sign and we were both like, I wonder what kind of gel you'd need to put on the light to get that particular shade of fusia. Uh, right. <laughs> like, uh, I think we need to stop drinking the margaritas and thinking about gels. It's hard to turn it you're just stuck with it and it's except the beauty in it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there any particular art exhibition that you would recommend we go to right now? Like 
uh, something we should definitely go see as public. Mm, that's a shameless promo, but I actually had my first video installation opening this past two weekends. And it's showing in North Hollywood, um, Miss Tina Lawson, she has uh, this like local art foundation called Waco and they basically create space for black artists to showcase their work. And also they do workshops as well, events and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. I'm a part of this group exhibition called Witness. And it's basically a love letter to black women through different mediums of art. So there's photography, mm-hmm. there's fine art, there's live installation as well. But I did this video installation called Reimagining Black. And Reimagining Black is essentially a two screen video installation about the history of black women in cinema. And so like on the left screen, we recreated these like old Hollywood glam portraits of iconic black actresses over the years, Mm. like Tyson, Diane Carroll. Um, And then on the right screen, it was more of like a future tense of manifestation, like manifesting the kind of roles we want to see for black women on screen. Um, and it was just like a random idea I had gotten <laughs> one day and uh, they had asked me to be a part of the show earlier this year. And so it kind of just happened really fast. But I had tapped into like all my personal resources, like my crew was down to show up for me, like local vet, local cam vendor, b sent me some glass, mm. uh, got a lighting package from a friend of a friend as well. Like the whole community kind of showed up for me to make this project. So it definitely mm-hmm. was a labor of love all around, but definitely highly recommend Go to see it showing on the weekends um, from 12 to 6 on Friday, Friday through Sunday. Cool. That's awesome. Congratulations on that. That seems like a really cool thing. Thank you. Um, Thank you. So, I'm so excited about it. It's, it's just cool to do something for myself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. How do you balance that, actually? Um, choosing projects that you do for yourself versus projects that, for better or for worse, pay the bills. You know? Right, right. It's really tough. But it's it's hard too because it's like when you finally take that time away to work on something for yourself, all these jobs mm-hmm. are calling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You gotta look the other way. <laughs> uh, but I think it's really important just in terms of our like artist mental health. You know, being able to one pay the bills, but also work on things that really challenge you or inspire you in a mm-hmm. new. So um, I kind of learned that the, the hard way last year. Last year, I was just working so hard, mm-hmm. banging out job after job and not really doing much work for myself. And mm-hmm. I do try to slip in facets of my own like personal style in the commercial world. But also it's like at the end of the day, making a short form narrative piece about something you're really passionate about is never going to match up to that, you know. And so mm-hmm. um, this year, I really hit the ground running on one, I started off doing some jobs and then it helps me kind of fund, self-fund this passion project. And I'm really happy I put in the time to do it because it was it was reviving. It made me, I don't know, you know, like get that spark about filmmaking all over again. And all of my best friends were involved in making it from like production to camera, you know, and mm-hmm. I think that is something that is just like a feeling you just can't get anywhere else. And so I really encourage everyone to just do that. And there's so many also like camera grants that are granting DPs to like create space to work on these passion projects. I, I mm-hmm. acknowledge not everyone's fortunate to like, you know, like throw some bread towards a passion project. So like it's definitely important to tap in with like those like local resources as well. They're doing an LF sponsorship. Panavision does a grant. Um, this local vendor, Sam Shot It, it's a black owned camera vendor he he helps finance certain projects as well if the creatives mm-hmm. are right you know there's so many different ways so all of these rental houses are eager to help and like uplift upcoming dps especially women you know and so mm-hmm. 
I don't know. It, it just it it helps you feel more supported to like have these camera houses behind you. Yeah, for sure. Um, we we had Bianca Helper and from B Cine on early on. And she she spoke a little bit about that as well. Yes, I love her. She has some B City has supported me through so much. Mm-hmm. They've been me from the beginning. I'm so loyal. It's yeah. That. I can't go anywhere else. Like I want to support them at all costs and they've expressed such a beautiful way. And it's just like, you know, I was always scared to go to the rental house, like coming up, you know, it's like you you walk in, it's all these union bros, like (laughs) giving you death. When you walk into B-City, it's a whole different vibe. Everyone's like, I see you. They're making you coffee. Like everyone's like, I don't know, we're we're throwing back and forth movie recommendations. Like it just Mm -hmm. feels like an actual like family environment. And I think- That's the kind of thing that's like really unmatched out here in L.A. Yeah. And I think um, they also one of the things I really like about that is that they 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 let you kind of explore with with their gear. They let you, you know, test and like let me test their stuff to my little DP heart's content, which I, I really appreciate because I'm definitely one of those people that needs to just see, see things, you know, like I need to like put the lens on and see what it's doing, like seeing something on the Internet it's helpful to a degree, but um, so just being able to have a space where or spaces where you can go in and like do that is really, really helpful in general, I think. So exactly. And that's something that like upcoming DPs really need to plug into. You know, it's mm-hmm. like a lot of folks don't know you could reach out to a rental house and ask to test filtration, yeah. ask to test a certain like um, set of glass. I think it's really important to like, I don't know, just try to show up to the rental house as much as you can, even like when folks reach out like, oh, Shade, can I camera PA for you? Like, mm-hmm. I send them straight to prep. Like, you want yeah. you, you want to learn camera? I'm up to you to work. <laughs> that's yeah. the only way to learn. That's the only way how I could learn is like actually getting my hands on tangible mm-hmm. gear, you know, and actually yeah. learning functionality. There's only so much you can learn on the internet. Only so much you can learn on YouTube, you know? Yeah, and I'm like, that. That I recently participated in this uh, filter test. There were six DPs that... We went to this filtration event with, through Women in Media, and we, like, it was just a bigger event. It was like fifty people, so there's limitations on how much you can actually get in with the gear. And these six of us, we were just like, because Burns and Sawyer was like, yeah, just drop by, and you know, we'll let you test. And we were like, we will take you up on that. Right. And so, <laughs> the six of us were just like, let's go t- filter test. And we were originally going to test like we had a list of fifteen filters. I think we ended up testing like 40 filters. Like I kid you not because they let, they kept letting us like go into the drawers and pick stuff out. And we were just like, well, well let's test this one and this one. Cause like, you know, the candy shop. It was, yeah. <laughs> it's like, and six of us. <laughs> I love that. But that's what it's all about. Like those are the experiences you'll remember for the rest of your life. You know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and just being able to explore that way was really helpful. Cause like it's in a, it's, uh, yeah, kid in a candy shop is really, really the way to describe it because we're just like putting these like crazy filters. We're just like the models were laughing at us because um, we would put the filter on in front of the lens and we just we we had the big model and we were just going, ooh. And the mom was like, what What does it look like? And we're just like, it's so pretty. It's doing this thing. <laughs> we're like, let us see. So, yeah. Um, getting your hand you're right getting your hands on stuff and like reaching out to rental houses and re- reaching out to resources in general it, there's a lot of uh, things out there that will let you explore and play and get to know this gear for well, sure exactly exactly i'm kind of curious a little bit about um 
your pitching process, specifically in your commercial work? Mm. Um, you know, like, can you kind of talk us through like what your thought process is, like how much of the brand are you like of the ethos of that space are you looking at? You know, like just kind of walk us through that. Um, I guess for me, for commercials, it's funny. I, I pitch commercials just like I pitch a narrative project. It's one and the mm. same to me. <laughs> and it, I, I, it's either a character strength or a character flaw. I'm not too sure because sometimes it's like we'll be on set on a commercial. <laughs> and I'll be like, oh, but what's the story? And the director will be like, Shade, it's just like a clip wide <laughs> of the product. Like, okay, that's fine too. But for me, I think what's really helped me stand out in the commercial world is like referencing like narratives on commercial, mm-hmm. you know, like playing with like unconventional lighting approaches or really grounding the lighting and practicality, you know, because I feel like in the commercial world, it's like there's this obsession with like this high key, high contrast look, you know, but it yeah. doesn't feel lived in. It doesn't feel intimate. And so for me, when I'm pitching on commercials, it's trying to find ways to still bring some kind of underlying like storyline, underlying practicality, underlying uh, engagement of, of like camera movement too in itself. For example, I was working on this one Tostitos commercial that was really fun. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, their commercial look is very conventional. They usually do like high key. Um, but it was fun because it's like they casted Danny Trejo. <laughs> oh yeah, I've seen that one, yeah. It's a project, right? And for me, like I grew up watching his really gritty <laughs> film. You know, I wanted to replicate that. And for me, we were just shooting in Pasadena, but I really mm-hmm. wanted to bring like I don't know, a warmer, like high contrast environment, like not just mm-hmm. doing clean daylight. And so for me, like the biggest thing I had pitched was like uh, we had put coral on camera, like a warming filter to kind of mm-hmm. shift the environment. So it kind of felt like that warm golden hour all throughout the day. Or we were shooting, there was like some exterior shots and it was like supposed to be like a barbecue situation, but it was like just a very clean canvas. It was just like trees everywhere and for me i was like Mm -hmm. how can i bring more vibrant pops of color so like i was looking into movie references i looked into this one um wes anderson film was it was uh was was her i I can never pronounce her name swarshi ronan oh shirsa shirsa yeah Yeah. she she was in this wes anderson film and there was this beautiful frame of her with uh like these uh colored lanterns Mm -hmm. and kind of rounded center and I had found this still and I was like we need to replicate this look in this commercial I think it would bring more color contrast within the frame just make it feel a bit more engaging Mm -hmm. Um, and that was like another creative concept the directors kind of fell in love with because I was like finding ways to make the space feel more lived in and Mm. I think that's low-key a bit of a life hack when approaching commercials it's like you still want you still want to create some kind of like narrative arc to these commercials so that, that mm-hmm. they feel engaging so that they feel personable and so little things like that I'll slip into sometimes depending on how much prep time I have I'll make a full-on like cinematography deck that will go over like camera package um the glass filtration that I'm looking at for this project I'll loop some directors really love to see lens tests some directors don't really care <laughs> but I'll mm-hmm. just put it anyways um I'll look I'll I, I'll add in lighting references, uh, movement references as well, um, mm-hmm. just to kind of create create like a fully fleshed out look. And obviously it's like in that initial deck, things are picked apart. Certain things directors love, certain things are like, oh, maybe we shouldn't do that, you know? Mm-hmm. And 
that kind of just helps you kind of form a language and kind of create a, a natural, healthy back and forth. And I've noticed that being able to create a fully fleshed out deck has really just helped me get in the room or get into rooms that I wouldn't initially expect I would get into, you know, because I had mm-hmm. these really sharp and like concise and like innovative, creative ideas. And so that's definitely something I've been pushing for other upcoming DPs. Like I'll send them my decks and be like, look, like this is what you need to do. <laughs> like yeah. create kind of framework, like really push yourself too, because I think creating those decks they're tedious but also it really pushes you to really be grounded in intention like oh I got to figure out what exact glass I I want for this what exact mm-hmm. like so what exact lighting approach what exact color palette you know it really mm-hmm. helps you be on your p's and q's so that when you are having like the scout or any prep calls with other departments like you already have a visual language built in your mind and it, it is like an effortless conversation you don't have to be like oh let me go find these references let me go look into what I want for this xyz and how detailed is your prep? Like, do you do extensive floor plans? Like, everyone's kind of different, right? So, like, what's your prep like in that in that terms? Mm-hmm. It depends. It depends on if I'm doing, like, on location versus stage stuff. When I'm doing stage work, I'm really detailed with my lighting overheads. But when I'm on location, it's more so collaborative with my gaffer and, like, and the scout. And it's more... It, it really is dependent on like how we're reacting to the location naturally. But I feel like when it's stage stuff, it's like everything is so <laughs> preconceived and controlled. That's when I'm like very nitpicky about overheads and all of that. But on both ends, I'm always like working on a shot list and like doing Artemis tests while we're on the scout mm-hmm. so that everyone on all departments has like an understanding of how we want to block out or like shoot out a space. Um, especially when it comes to like um, commercial lighting too. Like like I said, I, I like to pitch lighting that's more grounded in reality and so many commercial clients are locked into this like high key look. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes it's taking like um, lighting tests like at a pre-light or like on Artemis just so they can kind of like tonal references so mm-hmm. that they feel more confident about our shoot date. Because definitely in the beginning, like, you, like they don't prepare you on how to work with clients in terms of lighting <laughs> feedback. Now I'm like, I'm much more confident confident in it and I feel more excited about talking to clients but before I was just like this is so much stress like how do people do this <laughs> but yeah. it's really just being personable and like just explaining explaining approach as well like so many times clients will come up to my monitor and have a have a question about color or or uh, have just like a detailed note and then I'll just explain like just directionality like where lighting is coming from what colors are coming from where mm-hmm. like how we're grounding the lighting and practicality as well just so that they have an understanding of approach and then that usually creates like a healthy like communication stream back and forth on that same note like how do you navigate um talking to clients about technical aspects of it because i've found that sometimes in the commercial world uh, mm-hmm. clients and directors tend to be a little bit more technically savvy mm-hmm. um so and that can that can i, I don't want to say encroach on your <laughs> your decision makings but it does have uh because i mean the, the the influence they have would be is pretty substantial so how do you navigate your technical decisions with clients and directors and all that stuff i think it's really just see it as a as a positive thing instead of a negative thing you know because even on this last job I was on I was working with this director she's a photographer as well and she had very specific lighting notes Mm -hmm. but it was exciting for me because you know usually I'm kind of figuring out (laughs) everything on my own and she had specific requests of color palette and it Mm -hmm. kind of challenged me in a way to really push one trying a new look or really just making it like it was more curated for her visual language and I think as DPs we can't really take we can't take those experiences personal Mm -hmm. we just have to 
that like Swiss army knife in a way where it's like, oh, you want this? Okay, let me see how I can make this work for you, Mm -hmm. you know? And of course, there are also times, though, when we're put in uncomfortable positions where the director feels like they really need this ambitious creative, but then the production is just not not on the same page with that. And that's when we have to be the middleman, where we have to be the bad cop. It's Mm -hmm. so it's it's really so we have to be so diplomatic through all of these things. And I think for me, I just try to stay positive and also like not take it too personal at the end of the day. It's like these clients or this XYZ director has been looking at this creative for so long, so many weeks, way Mm -hmm. longer than I have. And it's really their baby. And I'm just here to kind of make it come to life in a beautiful, (laughs) you know, and at the end of the day, I get to walk off and go to another job, you know, whereas sometimes they're living with this project for a longer amount of times. And so like in the beginning, I would take a lot of pushback personally, but at the end of the day, it's like, what makes what we do so fun is like that it is so collaborative and it is like this fluid back and forth and it challenges us in a way to be like to the T with our communication and our creative pursuits as well. B. Cindy is a woman in Latina-owned boutique camera rental house based in Los Angeles. They are passionate about the nuanced design that goes into visual storytelling and as such are committed to supporting filmmakers tell their stories with the best tools available. Plus, for busy cinematographer or camera crew parents, they also offer childcare services during prep. So when you're looking for camera rentals for your next project, check out their extensive repertoire of optics and cameras at www.bcine.com or write to rentals at bcine.com for general inquiry. Do you have any advice for listeners or for for other people coming up about how to hone those communication skills and those diplomacy skills to handle um, these kinds of sets? Get it all on paper. (laughs) Like I said, I'm very much so per my last scene. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) When you're, uh, especially in terms of prep, you know, when you're prepping, having a really detailed creative deck or mood board, sending that out to all the key departments, making sure that they have an understanding of what you need, mm-hmm. you know, like have certain requests for practicals from art department. If you have, if you need confirmation on like um, shooting specs from like the production side, mm-hmm. or if there are certain um, client requests on like how to frame up a product or mm-hmm. how to like product, you need to know all of that in prep mm-hmm. so that you're not doing this back and forth while you're shooting and like getting that all on paper is just really important so that it shows like, oh, this DP is actively trying to make our project come to life essentially and actually putting in the work to ask these questions to think three steps ahead. I think for me, it's like, I especially when I'm hiring crew, like I love crew members who are thinking three steps ahead, like mm-hmm. how are we going to make the next setup and what what needs to be done after that, you know, because at the end of the day, it's like a lot of what we do is creative, but it's also very logistical and we need to, you yeah. know, like our day make our day make our day and so um stuff like that or even scout like i'm very upfront about like sending over artemis stills and writing notes like this is what needs to be done for this shot in terms of gne in terms of camera um this is what i need from art for this specific frame like mm-hmm. just making sure that everyone has like this open dialogue and is aware of like what's being shot and what needs what what is needed for the shot essentially mm-hmm And then also just like creating like good repertoire with your director as well, like feeling like you and your director are in sync. I think when I first started out shooting commercials, like it's especially for women, it's like we're we're happy to be here. Yeah. (laughs) Happy to be here. Right. And in a way, sometimes production companies can use that to their advantage. And then like they kind of they can kind of bully you into like really needing to deliver a certain standard or like deliver, deliver. Uh, you know, what do you what do you call it? It's like they expect the world, but then they don't give you much materials to make it happen. Yeah. 
And so like, I think a big thing I've learned working in commercials is really communicating what you need. If you need more crew, communicate what you need to make your day. If, if production is trying to add on a second camera, this is what I need crew wise. This is what I need prep time wise to make the second camera work or else we need to go back to the creative and have an open dialogue about this, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think it, it's really important to create these boundaries as cinematographers because this also sets the standard of work you know you I always think about when I'm like hesitant to say something or speak up to production it's really me thinking about the next DP you know like for the next DP I want to make sure they're not having to <laughs> go through clumsy <laughs> you know having to go through this back and forth you know and I always obviously always just think about women of color too being thrown into these spaces like we need to be able to communicate a proper framework to approach a certain creative and so that's been a big journey for me as well it's just like making sure that you're able to communicate your needs to make your day. And at the end of the day, that's that's all you can really do. Yeah, no, and I think that's actually super important because I think, I don't know about you guys, but I definitely have some of my biggest issues is sometimes I don't ask what I for what I need and it bites me in the butt later on. It's like the way up. And, yeah. and, but I think that comes from just like as a woman, I've just grown up with this, like, I don't want to ask, I don't want to take up space, I don't want to. And so like actively fighting that impulse is really hard. Um, yeah. So, yep. but, but yeah, it is crucial in like projects that, you know, when as in any sort of project. So, yeah. And it's very, it's fair to feel that because it's like we're not given space to, you know, counteract that, you yeah. know, it's something you kind of have to pick up where you can. And I feel like I always just think about how these male DPs move. They move with so yeah. much confidence, like not even doing proper prep, just showing up, you know, mm -hmm. just like doing the bare minimum, you know, and we have so much intention and care for what we do. And we know what we need to make our days work. And mm -hmm. I, we have higher stakes, though, you know. We have higher, we do have higher stakes too. Yeah, you're, you're right. That's what that, I mean, I just think about that, yeah. <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> no, I think that's good. I think it's a good approach. And coming back to the commercial world, you, you talked about um, not feeling, com you know, coming from a school of or in film school being told, oh, you shouldn't talk to the actors. Oh, you know, you should, you know, worry about the technical, all this stuff. How do you, how have you evolved into a point in commercial world and, and how do you, in the way you interact with talent specifically, because when you're in the commercial world, you know, even mentioning the the Danny Trejo example, you're, you're working with sometimes big name talent, you know, like how does how does that approach to the set or interacting with them evolve? I mean, obviously, it's like you don't want to like chat, chat up talent. Right. <laughs> but I think it's really just communicating what you need for the creative, you know, mm -hmm. still setting eyelines or setting like certain like body positions or for me like I'm very I'm very cognizant of how we're shooting women specifically on mm -hmm. set you know um if like a hair is out of the place out of place I always think about I would not want to be caught yeah. <laughs> flipping, like a flying strand of hair so I'm talking to the glam team to make sure if talent is feeling like oily I'll ask to powder down the cheeks you know stuff like that is just like just being conscientious of like how people are being perceived and mm -hmm. like making sure that especially women like that the women feel supported on set I don't know it's just like yeah really just communicate what you need for the creative I don't think like yeah you should really just like chat up just to chat but yeah 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 <laughs> friendly trying to be a good energy to work around like have good creative ideas like that usually just helps it feel like a fun environment and like most of most women specifically based on experience like they've just been so excited to see like black women on set they mm. just get a guest they're taking videos of us <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny 
<laughs> have you had to deal um, with talent wanting to be lit a certain way or shot with a certain lens? And how do you approach that um, particular situation? Um, that That's actually a really big thing. You know, like certain talent, they've been through certain, they've been through the ringer in the past. So they're very conscious of like how they look on camera. So especially with bigger talent, like their whole team will come to the monitor and have notes on immediately. And so for me, I, I just try to like set a, uh, just like a collaborative framework and like streamline for feedback, you know, like mm-hmm. especially when you're doing like beauty interview lighting, right? Like I'll always have like a key from the ground, a larger key from the ground. And then I'll have like, um, like a light matte spectrum overhead. Sometimes it's two or sometimes it's just one single source. Um, but that also kind of helps like being able to play with like the beauty levels on talent. So mm-hmm. like I always have, and sometimes I'll do like a 2L from the bottom as well to just like accent like the chin area as mm-hmm. well. Just like creating like a framework where lighting's coming from every kind of corner mm-hmm. is really helpful when you're getting that lighting feedback. Cause I'll have a preferred look in the beginning. Sometimes it'll be a little bit more dramatic with like a deeper shadow, mm-hmm. but then some- Alan's team will come in and they'll say like, oh, we need more light on her. And so Mm -hmm. then bring up like the beauty overhead or something like that, just so that the face feels a little bit more illuminated. But I think especially in the commercial world, it's like being prepared in advance for that lighting feedback really goes a long way. Like especially with production companies, sometimes they're so nitpicky about gear lists. But for me, like I'll always always think ahead of time, like you want to like leave room for error, like oh, what if we get client feedback on how the product is being lit? We're mm-hmm. going to need XYZ additional sources. Stuff like that is really important to kind of figure out and prep and communicate and prep because you just don't want to be scrambling on the day. And then at the end of the day, yeah. whenever something goes wrong, it comes down to the DP, you know? So like being yeah. able to be prepared for the worst. It's funny that we have to be the bad cop, but it's we're realists at the end of the day. <laughs> what we need. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so um, our big question, which is our last question, is actually a three-parter. So, first of all, what is your favorite movie? Second, what is your comfort movie? Like, the kind of movie that, you know, you're sick and you just need to feel good and warm and fuzzy, that that movie. Uh, Like, your guilty pleasure, I guess. And then the third one is, what is a movie that has influenced your cinematography the most or influenced you as a cinematographer the most? Let me think this through. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I would say my favorite film, of course, is Moonlight. That was mm. always a really big reference for me coming up because it was definitely first of its kind in terms mm-hmm. of storyline, but also visually how it was shot, like leading into a darker, a darker, grittier look of us, which yeah. I thought was really beautiful and profound. And like being able to ground lighting and practicality was like mm-hmm. a big thing for me and like I always thought like, like I always had a certain approach to lighting when I first started, but then when I watched Moonlight, everything went out the door, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and I had to start fresh. And so I think that was one of those films that really challenged me to like try something new and create my own kind of visual language and not go towards the conventional standard of like image making, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, my comfort movie, this is so bizarre. <laughs> Y'all are going to judge me. <laughs> no, no judgment. We've... We we all have the gamut. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My comfort movie has honestly randomly been uh Leon the Professional because huh. when I was I was one of those Tumblr kids. Nice, <laughs> nice. I came across that film randomly. And for me it's like when I had first seen that film, it it was just very inspiring because every facet of the film 
from a technical perspective is so clean. Like the editing mm-hmm. was like such a big thing for me, like the quick pace editing and like also the cinematography as well. Framing cues was very interesting. And also just the storyline I felt like very enthralled by at the time. And I was always, I would just always just put it on because whenever I would put it on, I would just feel like very creative and very inspired because I'm always mm. like deduct the shot progressions and like how they like shot out certain scenes. And I, just from like a technical perspective, it's just really great inspiration for sure. And I had to see that movie when I was like, I don't know, I was like 14, 15 and I've mm. like rewatched ever since, <laughs> honestly. Nice. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. That's a good one. And uh, what's the movie that has influenced your cinematography the most? Or is- Ooh. Mm-hmm. I think the film that has influenced my cinematography the most is definitely Do the Right Thing. Mm. OG from Spike. I think Spike Lee and Ernest Dickerson's like creative collaboration has really inspired my own personal style, mm-hmm. especially with like uh, like the candid portraits to camera. Yeah. <laughs> like the perspective, the double dolly I've referenced so many times. I think it's just like such a, uh, just such a iconic duo for black filmmakers and we're always going to reference mm-hmm. OG Spike films just because it like shifted our narratives in such a dramatic and profound way. Yeah. Um, oh, do the right thing. She's got to have it. Mo Better Blues, like all of Spike's like early work really pushed me to also like play with creating like he has little Easter eggs of like surreal magical realism mm-hmm. within his work in terms of camera movement, especially. And so that really inspired me when I was like first starting out as well. Uh, one last question. Where can we find you on the Internet? Like social media, website, blog, pot, whatever. Time to promote. And what's next for you? Yes. Ooh, ooh OK. You can find me on uh, Instagram or Twitter, Shade India. Um, my website is shadeindia.co as well. Um, I just be talking nonsense on the internet, sharing like film breakdowns <laughs> and <laughs> things that inspire me really. I think next for me is really just self-care. Honestly, I was on set the other day and <laughs> when we were wrapping out, they were like, Shade, what do you have next going for you? Like, what are you working on next? And I was like, myself. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so funny because it's so true. Like, I'm really just trying to create more space for me to you know just recover after certain jobs and just like find that spark again and I feel like for me personally like working on uh, my video installation was like really much so a labor of love mm-hmm. and I went working after that and mm-hmm. so like just catching up to like that self-care and spending time with my partner spending time with my family my loved mm-hmm. one that'd be really big for me this like upcoming spring awesome awesome yeah. thank you for having me thank you so much Shade. um was wonderful. Okay, so I thought that was a really great conversation. Um, she's I just really love her approach, her in-depth explanation about like how things really work in the commercial world. I think that was really illuminating. Um, and just all the details she went into, I think was, I think really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. She's so well-spoken and so confident. You know, I love that energy that she has. She's just like spitfire. Like, I love it. Yeah. And like uh, hearing that planning pays off because <laughs> I'm a big planner too. So like, I think knowing that she comes because I, I think that's one of my fears sometimes that I come in too prepared. I know that's 
I have weird insecurities. Um, I mean, it's like sometimes there's a level between like planning a lot, but having the ability to adjust and pivot. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes if you plan too much that like it's hard for you to like, oh, no, like everything's changed. So then one domino topples over and everything is different, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I can see that being the thing, you know? Yeah. I like to do a middle medium amount of prep. I mean, obviously, the more prepared you are, the better you go into it, you know, mm-hmm. you then you have kind of like the groundwork to be that. But sometimes what I worry about is, especially in the narrative space, that there are like, there are rules that you create for the story to go forward. And sometimes if those are broken, mm-hmm. then you have to pivot in a way that how do I make this cohesive throughout? Yes. Yes. You know? Yeah. And I think that happens a lot in the indie world in particular when I've had it happen that I'm on a project and we have to make an adjustment in our visual language for X, Y, Z reasons. And then you go home that night and you're like, oh, hell, this just broke the entire plan. Oh, no. Right. Well, I mean, I think it's, you know what I think is really interesting. We talk about like DPs talk about visual language a lot, but like sometimes I think about it as like, what is a visual motif or what is a visual language? You know, like people throw mm. around these things a lot, but it's like, yeah. does that mean like there's a circle, fo- certain focal length for one character? Does it mean it's getting tighter as the world is, you know, getting smaller? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like what does that mean eventually? And can you break it? Can you not break it? Because to be honest, I have a friend of mine who um, was kind of a pretty successful director. Okay. Mm-hmm. She was telling me one time that a lot of the things that she talks about in her festival circuit um, are things that happened after the fact. Mm. But she watched the movie and said, you know what? This is what's actually happening. This is what happily, accidentally we shot. And this is. But then she like spoke to it about the visual language as if it was built into the prep. And, you know, it kind of got me thinking. I was like, I wonder if that happens other times, you know, like if some of this is all bullshit. (laughs) Well, I mean, what I think the, the answer to that for me would be is like something I, I learned in an undergraduate film school and I take, and like really drove, they really drove home in AFI, which is the image is a coded message. Yeah. And if you do not give it intention, the audience will. Yeah. So whether you give that intention in prep or in production or in post, I don't know if it's necessarily matters because I think as long as you give it intention and don't and give it meaning, uh, I think that's that's part of how you build that visual language. Because, yeah, I don't think visual language, I think you go and go out with one plan, then sometimes come back with another. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think it is important to have a plan going out. Yeah. I don't know. Of course. Yeah, I think... Shade, one of the things that really impressed me about her also was her ability to just put up those boundaries, you know, and her ability to say, like, this is what I need. Because as I said, like, during the episode, I think that's sometimes where I feel I personally struggle with sometimes. And uh, speaking up and, like, stating your needs, stating what stating what you need to do your the job is so, so important. And it's not necessarily innate for most of us. Um, so I think... Her ability to do that is really impressive. Yeah, well, I mean, there's like always that element, like you know, I want to come in under budget for something, you know. So you're like, mm-hmm. 
And at some point you're like, why is the DP trying so hard to keep the movie under budget? Um, I mean, obviously that's part of the job, right? But there's a level where it's like, maybe I can scrounge more. Maybe I can, maybe I don't need this. Maybe I don't need that. You know, we're talking about low budget things, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And then it's like, why? You know, you're shooting Mm -hmm. yourself in the foot at some point. Yeah. But I think that like a lot of women feel this way, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're right about what you you talked about earlier is that women kind of grow up. Some a lot of women grow up like this, you know, is that we should be accommodating and helpful and like try to try to help. Yeah. And not take up that, space. Right. And that that trying to help includes trying to save some money, you know? Yeah. But also like one of the things I learned when I was an A D, actually the mark of good producing is actually that you use up all your budget. That you don't go over, but that you also don't necessarily come up under that you use the the budget in an efficient way and sometimes the pressure to come under budget I don't know being able to push and set boundaries I think with that to be able to make to do our jobs properly I think is an important skill that we I remember you know like I I've definitely gaffed a project or two that you know there's a whole grip truck there's a whole three-ton truck with like a lot of the things don't even come off the truck at the end mm-hmm. you know like work with those kind of dps where it's like oh like did you really need to order all of this right mm-hmm. if you didn't even you know make a point like i always i like i have this this tendency to be like i'm gonna pull i'm gonna use everything i ordered mm-hmm. right um and not not just like i'm like not to the point where I'm like, oh, like I just need the producer to see me pull this dolly out for one shot. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, not like that, but like to actually cognizantly think about it, you know. And I think that that's where some of that line is, where it's like, well, I need this and this and this and this and this and this, mm-hmm. and then the reality is that do I actually need this, right? Do I yes. actually need this? And that's part of prep. It's like prepping and saying like, okay, when I come to this, I do need this. When I come to this, I do need this. And then finding the balance and saying, oh, well, can we do this a different way? Can we we not do this? Oh, we already have a Dana Dolly. Maybe we can just get this, you know, maybe this Dana Dolly is the same shot, you know, Mm -hmm. or we use the Dana Dolly for this and kind of finessing the budget or the gear list or the equipment list that way. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Thank you so much for listening today. Please follow us on Instagram at the ICFC. You can also reach us by writing to ICFCpodcast at gmail.com. This episode was produced by Emilia Mendieta Cordova, Fabian Hausepian, Akina Vandevelde, Senda Bonet, and Barbie Lung. 